Well, good morning. Oh, that's terrible. Come on, you guys are like the third service. The first service was better than you, and they weren't even awake. Good to see you. I'm, uh, my name's Todd Retberg, and I'm a recovering pastor. Anyone know any of those? I was in ministry for 15 years, uh, pastoring a church up in Upland. And for the last couple years, uh, I'm with a ministry called Standing Stone, and we care for pastors. We coach and care pastors so they can stay healthy and their families can stay healthy and they can continue to lead uh, healthy churches. Um, Bill and I have known each other for five or six years, and so it's great to, uh, to be with you. Uh, this is not an easy subject to talk about. Uh, that's why Bill asked me to come do it. Nobody wants to talk about suffering, right? Suffering's difficult. Uh, but what if I told you that the church has got this area wrong. Matter of fact, they've got it so wrong that they've sometimes just missed it or shied away from it because they don't want to talk about it. Because it's kind of scary. And what if I told you that I believe that the American church has thought the American dream is biblical truth? And what if I told you that because we've gotten this wrong, we've got a bunch of spiritual infants in the church not growing like they should be? And what if I told you that if we don't get this right, what impact can we have on the world? Very little, I believe. So let me tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up not very far from here in Santa Ana. Uh, Two loving parents. I have to say that. They're sitting right here. Um, And and an older brother who at the time I wasn't sure was too loving. Uh, He's turned out okay. Uh, Dog named Jeremiah who if you look up the world, uh, Guinness Book of World Records, he is the dog that ate the fudge sickle faster than any dog in history. That's before, of course, we knew chocolate killed dogs. Um, and Penny was our cat, uh, also nicknamed Farrah Fawcett, uh, because his cat was always pregnant. <laughs> Literally always pregnant. Every time we take her to get her fixed, she's pregnant. Seven litters this cat had. So for the most part, great life. And I'm about five, six, somewhere in there, and I'm riding my bike. This is back when you could ride your bike in the streets and have a good time until the lights turned on, you had to come home. And I'm riding my bike, and my head starts hurting. And I don't think that much of it, but as I continue to ride the bike, my head gets worse. And so I turn around, I come home. By the time I get home, it is pounding. And so I run in, and I yell for my mom, here's what's going on. And she lays me down in my bed and puts a cool cloth on my head and gives me some aspirin and prays over me while I fall fast asleep. Wake up the next day, no problem, go on with my life. What I didn't know then that I know now is that was the beginning of a life of pain. I would begin to have headaches more when I went to elementary school. And then a little bit more when I went to junior high, and they thought, well, it's because I had a deviated septum in my nose. So they did an operation on me, and I still came out with a very big nose and the pain still. The headaches continued. Went to high school, they got a little worse. Went off to college, and they got a little worse. This is about the time we start hearing the word migraines for the first time. And then I got married. (laughs) And they got worse. (laughs) And 25 years ago, they decided to reside in my body daily. So I wake up with a migraine. I go to sleep with a migraine. It's just always there. We kind of live in a pain scale in our house, one being, you know, it's great, and 10 being kill me. And I'm right in the seven range most days. So why do I tell you all that? Um, Because I really want you to feel sorry for me. No, because... I understand what it is to suffer. 
When I preach on suffering, I get it. I understand it. I've lived it. And so many of you have, have lived it as well. You're suffering with things. Could be a health issue. Could be a child issue. Could be a grandchild issue. Could be a relationship issue. Could be finance. Could be work. Whatever it is, fill in the blank for what your area that you're struggling with right now. But what if I told you that suffering is God's best tool for life transformation? Let's take a look. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 7. And this is Paul speaking. This is a uh, passage many of you have probably heard before. Suffering for life transformation. And Paul says this, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me, don't miss this, given me, a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So first thing is, suffering results in humility and dependence. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, you see what Paul's talking about when he talked about revelations. If you remember the story, God actually took Paul up into heaven to show him what his future was going to be like. And then he said, psych, you got to come back and suffer some more. What a dirty trick God played. But Paul says it was so great, it was so amazing that he couldn't even speak of it. And he says, because of this, because of what God allowed me to see, I could have easily exalted myself, gotten prideful, told everyone, yeah, I got to see heaven, you didn't. And so he was given, and the text says given, and actually in the original language we get this idea of God allowing it or giving it to him for his good. Now, I'm sure Paul didn't think it was good. I don't think it's good. None of us think suffering is a good thing. And yet, God says, I do it because I want to have you be humbled and dependent upon me. We love singing about being humble and being dependent. None of us like it. Let's be honest. We all like to drive the car. We don't like to sit in the passenger seat. And God is saying, you need to give up the steering wheel and let me do it. And so that was one of the reasons why he allowed Paul to have this suffering so he would be... Um, you know, dependent upon him. Now, I find it interesting how often we soften suffering. Has anybody ever heard, you know, like you're sharing with someone, God, I'm really struggling with this or that, and someone quotes Romans 8 to you, all things work together for good for those who love. Everyone ever quoted that to you and you want to shoot them? I call those scripture grenades. They're those little scriptures that we just throw out with no meaning or no understanding. We don't really want to walk with someone. We just want to tell them something so we can get out of the conversation. Paul did not think this was good for him. I don't think this is good for me. Most of you that are suffering or struggling don't think it's good for you. But here's the truth. God's best for us sometimes seems like the worst. God's best for us sometimes just seems like the worst. Like, how can this be good for me, God? And God's saying, trust me, I'm going to do amazing work. When the headaches uh, started getting daily, 
I was working at Boeing at the time. I hadn't gotten into ministry yet. And I remember thinking to myself as I got closer and closer to graduating from seminary and and going into ministry that as soon as I go into ministry full-time, God's going to heal me. Of course he's going to heal me. Because how can I pastor a church if I got all this pain? And what happened? They got worse. I'm like, what's up, God? I'm serving you full-time, making no money, and I'm going to keep getting worse? So I struggled for a long time to kind of get there, and then finally God just said to me, Look, do you trust me or don't you? Do you think I've got this or don't you? And I remember um, I wrote a book. It's out there. You can, that's, this is the marketing plug. You can buy a book afterwards. And when it first came out, I was preaching at a church. And after the service, I was at the book table, and this family came up to me, and they were just in tears. The mom, the dad, the, bro- the son, and the daughter, they're all in tears. And the mom said to me, she said, my son's been in so much pain. He hasn't even been able to go to school for two years. And we've tried everything. We've gone there and here, and we are just at the end of our rope. And she said, you're the first person we've ever heard that gets it. You're the first person that speaks our language, that understands what we're going through. And we had this big group hug. We're all crying. And, and as I was driving home that day, God said to me, this is one of the reasons why I've allowed you to have all this pain, because I want to use you to help others in their pain. And I thought about that for a moment. I said, that sounds great. Can you take the pain away and I can still help others? But I began to understand that even though it doesn't feel good for me, it is good for me. God has a plan in it. It's not by accident. He knows what he's doing. Now, in verse 8, it said, concerning this thorn in the flesh... Paul implored the Lord. This idea is he pleaded from the depths of his heart. He just said, anything you can, please take this. It was tormenting him. It was hurt. I mean, have you ever had something like that? It's just so bad. You're like, please, Lord, just take it. I don't care what else you do. Just please take the pain. And that's where Paul was. And he is pleading with God, not once, not twice, but three times. Don't miss. We, sometimes I think we read scripture and we forget these are human beings. Paul's just like you and me. Struggled with stuff. Had issues in his life. And this is one of them. And he's like, Lord, please just take it. If you'll just take it, I'll be fine. So he's at, the, it's at this depths of who he is right now. As he's, as he's kind of sharing this. And then the Lord responds in verse 9. And he says, my grace is sufficient. And I want to talk to you about that in a second. But don't miss how Paul responds. Paul pleads with everything that's inside of him. God says, my grace is sufficient. And what does Paul say? All right. I'm going to boast in my weakness. If it's going to be that way, if I'm going to have this physical ailment, we don't really know what it was. I guarantee it was migraines. We don't know for sure. But he's saying, I will exult in my weaknesses. Think about that for a moment. That is a crazy talk. Now, it's football season. No amen to that. What is wrong with this church, Bill? How many football fans? Okay, great. You know, last service, there's like three of you. I was starting to really worry. Okay, when's the last time at the end of a game, some athlete gets interviewed and he says, I just want to say, man, I am so proud of how terrible I was today. 
I just want to boast in my weaknesses. When's the last time you heard a politician get up to the mic and go, I just want to tell you, I am terrible at this job, and I just want to boast about it. No, they all, they're all prideful, right? Paul says, I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to tell you about how terrible I am because God's doing a great work. Isn't that good stuff? Because we all want to tell everyone how great we are. Isn't it interesting to you that so often when God does something in life, we take credit for it? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever heard someone say, you say, yeah, what's your spiritual gifts? Well, my spiritual gift is, and they go through this whole laundry list, and I'm like, okay, first of all, it's not your gift, it's God's. He gave it to you, and he didn't give it for you. He gave it to bless others. So Paul's saying, look, even though this thorn in the flesh is stinky, and I hate it, and I wish it would go away, God's using it. I'm going to boast in it. I think that's so phenomenal. In essence, what he's saying is, is my life dependent upon God or myself? Is your life dependent on you or yourself? Is it dependent on God or yourself? Which one is it? It can't be both, by the way. It can't be both. My wife, Lisa, who wanted to be here, by the way, but uh, our youngest son, uh, she moved him back up to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo this weekend uh, for school, uh, sent me this. Some of you may know the devotional Jesus Calling. And she texted this to me one day. This is probably a year ago now when I was really struggling. I was having some bad days with my head. And I just want to read it to you because I think it's powerful. It says this, Grow strong in your weakness. Some of my children I have gifted with abundant strength and stamina. Others like you have received the humble gift of frailty. Your fragility is not a punishment, nor does it indicate a lack of faith. On the contrary, weak ones like you must live by faith, depending on me to get you through the day. I am developing your ability to trust me, to lean on me, rather than your own understanding. Your natural preference is to plan out your day, knowing what will happen when. Guilty as charged. My preference is for you to depend on me continually, trusting me to guide you and strengthen you as needed. This is how you grow strong in your weakness. And I remember reading that and going, wow, that is so powerful. I hate it. I don't want to be known as fragile weak. And yet that's exactly what God has said to me over and over. Are you going to trust me in your weakness? Are you going to believe I can do great work in your weakness? It's not about what you can offer. It's what I can do through you. So what if I told you that suffering is God's best tool for life transformation? Not only that, God actually answers prayer in the suffering. If you look at uh, verse 9, God responds. Remember now, Paul has in, it pleaded with God, please take this thorn. And God says what? No. God says no. Now, we dress it up in Christendom. We say, oh, he didn't really say no. He said, my grace is sufficient. He said no. He did not take the thorn from him. Paul pleaded three times, and God said no. You get to keep it. And the bonus is, as far as we know from Scripture, you get to keep it the rest of your life. Have you ever noticed that we only like the prayers that are answered, yes. There's three answers to prayer, right? Yes, no, and wait. Two of the three we hate, right? Have you ever been like in a service and somebody, you know, people get up and they're like sharing, hey, so I want to tell you, you know, I had stage four cancer. I was on my deathbed and we prayed and God saved me and God healed me and everyone's rejoicing or praising God. Have you ever been to one when someone gets up and goes, you know, I just want you to know I've been praying for years over and over and over about this thing and God continues to say no and I just want to rejoice. I prayed for that new job. Not only did I didn't get it, they laid me off. Awesome. 
We don't ever do that, do we? We don't ever praise God for no's. It's only the yeses. But you know what? When God says no, it's an answer. High schoolers, when mom and dad say no, how do you like it? Oh, come on. Thumbs up. Right? You don't like it either. What do they know? So here's my parents right here. Don't tell them I told you this. They were so strict that when I was growing up, I wanted to go to a secular concert. They wouldn't let me. What do you think I thought of that? A bunch of stupid old people. I love you. But you know what I've learned now is they were really smart because they were trying to protect me. God does that a lot of times. He says no to us because he's trying to protect us. He's trying to hold us back from ourselves, getting in trouble. And God does amazing work in us if we'll allow that to happen. See, even when God says no, that's an answered prayer. And then after God says no, he says this incredible thing. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made, is made perfect in weakness. Now, what kind of grace is he talking about? He's talking about empowering grace. Have you ever noticed when God calls us to things that we can't do it on our own? We have to rely upon him. And that's this empowering grace, this powerful grace that comes and strengthens us and gives us wisdom and and helps us over and over and over again. It allows us to do the things God's calling us to do that we can't do on our own. And that's what happened here. Paul said, you're not going to take my throne, but thank you so much that you're going to give me this grace. You're going to empower me to do what you call me to do. Because I got to believe it was a little discouraging when Paul heard no. And yet he said, God said, my grace is sufficient. My empowering grace is going to make you, even though you're weak, I'm going to show you power. It's not your power, it's mine. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to use you in ways you can never imagine because God's grace gives us supernatural power in the midst of the storm. I remember hearing a Holocaust survivor. She was asked, how in the world did you keep your faith in the midst of all the torture? And she said, all I can tell you is God's grace. God continued to empower me because I just wanted to give up. I'd had enough I was sick and tired of seeing people get killed and tortured and die of starvation and all that. And all I could say is I just kept saying, Lord, somehow you've got to get me through this. And not only did he get me through this, but he got me all the way to the rescue where I still could praise him. I think, how incredibly powerful is that? You know, we, we get mad at God when we got a flat tire. Here this person was, all the suffering, and still was able to praise God in the midst of it because of this empowering grace they understood so well. What if I told you that suffering is God's best tool for life transformation? So not only does it give us this humility and dependence upon God, not only does God answer in the storm, but here's the question for you. Can you be content in the suffering? Ooh, now you're stepping on toes. Look at his response in verse 10. I find it incredibly, incredibly amazing. I will be content in my weakness. I will be in content while you torture me. While I have torment and pain, I will be content anyways. That is such a powerful statement because, boy, and let me just talk, talk to high schoolers. I know it's hard to be content when everybody else has something you want. It doesn't go away, by the way. Adults struggle with it, too. It's so difficult to be content, especially when we're suffering. It's easy to be content when everything's going well. 
How do we be content when, when we have weakness, when we have a poor understanding of what God is actually doing, when we just kind of are confused? God says, can you be content? And Paul said, yes, I'm going to be content even in my weakness. I'm going to be content even in my suffering. Boy, that's powerful to me. Webster defines content this way, pleased and satisfied, not needing more. I love that. Because we always just think if we have just a little bit more, we'll be, we'll be happy. If I can just get this, I can just get that. If I can just, oh, if I could just have. John MacArthur tells the story of going to China and meeting with the leaders of the underground church. And while he's there, they're sharing with him about all the pastors and people that have been imprisoned and killed for the gospel. And they talk about the terrible suffering that's going on, and yet the church is growing. And MacArthur says, well, when I get home, I am going to get all my prayer partners, and we're going to pray that God would take the suffering and the trials away from you. And they say, don't you dare. The suffering is what's allowing us to grow in the Lord. Suffering is what's making the church grow. What I'd ask you to pray is that God would continue to allow the suffering and give us empowering grace to deal with it. Woo! That doesn't sound like the American church. God does his greatest work in the midst of the suffering when we can be content with where we're at. Why did Paul so easily move to contentment? Because he knew something so important. He understood his identity was in Christ. His identity wasn't because he was physically amazing. His contentment wasn't because he was the greatest speaker ever. His contentment wasn't because he could run fast. No, his contentment was based on, I am a child of God and there's nothing more important than that. If your identity is in your job, in your career, because you're a good athlete, you're a good student, what happens when it doesn't go well? We wonder who we are. But when our identity is in Christ, based on what he did on the cross for us, all of a sudden, no matter what goes on in our lives, we know who we are. We can sit contented in that, understanding who God really is and who I really am because of that. Contentment is experienced when we understand our identity is in Christ and it's in nothing else. I have to be honest with you, I struggle with this. Through all the years of suffering and the pain and the agony and stuff, I struggle with contentment because I'm like, Lord, how, do you, how am I supposed to be content while my head's pounding? How am I supposed to be content while I'm struggling and suffering and it's affecting my wife and my kids and all those around me? How am I supposed to be able to do that? And God continues just to say, trust me, trust me, trust me. Has God ever said that to you in the midst of stuff? Just trust me? And you're like, I'd like to, but... That's what God's calling us to. About five or six years ago, I got this vivid, vivid dream. And most of the time I don't remember my dreams, but this one has stuck with me. And I think it was a dream that God gave me to help me with this idea of contentment. Um, it's a picture, and if you can try to picture this in your mind, even put yourself in the picture. Um, I'm about four. Um, incredibly handsome as well. Walking on the beach with Jesus. And my little hand is in his big hand. And we're walking on one of these days where it's like perfectly clear, you know, not a cloud in the sky and the sun's out. And we're walking as if we have nowhere to go. We're just strolling. There's no timetable, no concerns about where we got to go or when we got to be somewhere. We're just strolling. And every time I look up 
at Jesus, he's looking down at me with this incredible face of approval. Like, I just love you, Todd, as you are. And as four-year-olds do, um, they have squirrel moments, right? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Ooh, look at the waves. Off I go. And I'm, you know how you, when you, as your kid, you play with the waves, like you try to go in and out and not get wet? Have you ever tried that? High schooler, like, yeah, I still do that. But you know you always get wet, right? Doesn't all quite work out. So I'm doing this back and forth and back and forth. And every once in a while, I kind of look over to see if Jesus is watching. And he's sitting there and he's smiling and he's laughing as if to say, look at my child enjoying my creation. Finally, I get tired. And I come and I lay on his lap. And I put my head on his chest. And as I'm falling asleep, he says these words. He says, Todd, I love you. I got this. You can trust me with it, and I'm going to walk this journey with you. And he has kept that promise for me. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have bad days. We all have bad days. It doesn't mean I wish God couldn't heal me tomorrow. I do. And yet in the suffering, God continues to do amazing things. He wants to do the same in your life. Church, please hear this. We live in an amazing country. For the most part, we have it pretty easy, don't we? And yet, you're going to have times in your life where there's going to be doubts. And you're going to wonder, God, what are you doing? Can I strongly encourage you to remember that God's got it? It's not a surprise to him. He knows exactly what's going on. He's allowed it in your life. And what he wants you to do is be dependent upon him. Trust him because he's got this. Even when you don't understand even when it's hard, even when the math doesn't work, because suffering is God's best tool for life transformation. As I, as I close out this morning, I want to share a video of one of my heroes in this life, Johnny Erickson Tata. If you don't know about her, she paints uh, incredibly beautiful paintings with a brush in her mouth. She's recorded several uh, uh, musical albums, and she speaks. She spoke to millions of people across the world, and now she has a wheelchair ministry that gives uh, free wheelchairs to people that have had their legs blown off across the world. So, you know, it's amazing. I'm sure at at 16 or 17, whenever this happened, she she'd never thought that God would use her this way. And look what He's done. And that's because suffering is God's best tool for life transformation. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord, and we just want to be honest that this is hard. This is hard stuff. As we struggle in, in whether it's physical pain or battling disease, dealing in relationships or finances or job, whatever it is, Lord, that just kind of seems to be in our life, Lord, you've promised suffering. And so, Lord, we, we want to just ask, would you help us to embrace it? to not cry to get out of it, but to cry for what you have in it and to remember that it is so easy. Matter of fact, you're inviting us to come and sit in your lap and put our head on your chest and just say, Lord, I I can't do this. Speak to us this morning. Encourage our hearts to let us know that you're there, that you've got this. That nothing is too big for you, no matter what our situation is. You want to meet us right here, right now. Because you do amazing things with broken and discouraging lives.
Thank you, Lord, that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that you're in the midst of this suffering. And thank you that you use it to transform us into the image of Jesus so we can be used in mighty ways for the kingdom of God. We ask all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.